Amen. So good. Well, uh, don't show the picture yet. I want to uh, talk a little bit first. But Jacob, as you know, he's over in Ghana. He's doing a great job in Ghana as our missionary. Well, while we were there, uh, the college that I've taught at um, in Kumasi, which is about 300 miles north of Accra, uh, they really wanted me to give a commencement speech. Uh, I think it was yesterday, and I just couldn't be there. Like, I, I'm just not going to be able to make it there. So they go, well, send somebody else. And so I talked to Northwest Church. I talked to some other pastors. Everything fell through. I, and they even brought me a duck um, to try to get me to come back. And I was like, I'm just not coming. Um, but then I talked to Jacob while I was there. And I said, Jacob, why don't you give the commencement speech? Because again, he's like 21, and this is for college graduates. And he's like, well, I can't do that. You know, I, you know what would I say? And I, I kind of, you know, talked to him the way I talk to people sometimes. And um, <laughs> so he said yes. And so here's a picture of Jacob at this commencement. Look at that. <laughs> he's got his hat on. He's got the robe on. There's Bishop. Uh, and there's Dr. Digo is this one. And then uh, the president of the college. And then here's Bishop Maxwell, who we work with. And um, this man who's actually shaking his hand, I didn't even get this picture from Jacob. I got this picture from this man because this man was at the college. Um, he was in school. His name is Jacob as well. And he um, also, I, in October, I delivered a book to him. He was looking for a theological book. Uh, I bought it. I brought it to him in October. And he sent this picture to my wife to let me know that he has been ordained, that he's an ordained minister. So Jacob didn't even tell me about this, uh, that Jacob. Um, so I texted him this morning. I said, hey, I, I got a picture. How did it go? He said, it was awesome. There were over 600 people at the graduation. <laughs> um, he says, Dr. Digo is going to send a CD with all the pictures and video he took. Afterwards, Maxwell and I did an ordination for five pastors, and the Holy Spirit was moving big time. One of them was Jacob, the man you sent a book to. He was very excited about asking me to tell you that he is now an ordained minister. I also met a woman named Love who has a website. Check it out. She visits orphanages and prisons all around the country and works with Ghana healthcare providers to help widows and people in unfortunate circumstances. I got so excited. I'm going to visit her again. It was a really refreshing trip and got me pumped for all that God is going to do in Ghana. And I'm glad to play a small part in it all. God is so good. And I'm so thankful he knows exactly what I need. Thank you for encouraging me to say yes to speaking there. I'm working on adopting your motto to do hard things. It seems when I'm feeling hungry or I just don't want to do something, I eventually get over it and I surrender to the spirit and he is leading. Amazing things are happening. Isn't that so good? So praise the Lord. Praise God. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Normally, uh, when I preach, I preach through three verses, maybe four verses. I've been known to preach through one verse or maybe two verses. But today we're going to do something a little different. I've asked Sean Milhorn to help me today. We're kind of tag teaming the message and we're covering 15 verses. So that one, that means I'm going to talk really fast to uh, just buckle up. Um, but also, I'm just praying and I'm believing that the Word of God will still speak, that He will still teach us and He'll still change us in the way that we need to be changed. But we're going to start chapter 5, verse 6. And for those of you that are ready to move on to Second John, 
Uh, today will be the conclusion of First John. So uh, you are welcome. All right, here we go. <laughs> this is the one who came by water and blood. And who is that? That's Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. I love that. The Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony, it's greater because it's the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God, he's made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony that God has given about his Son. And this is his testimony. God has given us eternal life. Hallelujah. And this life, where is it found? This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son Ta-da, has life. Say, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You don't need to repeat that. That's just depressing. All right. So if you remember way back last fall, we talked about one of the reasons that John had to write this letter was because there were some false prophets, right? False teachers, and they were delivering some false good news. Just false teaching regarding who Jesus really was. And John labeled them. He had a very intense label. Remember what he called them? He called them antichrists, right? I mean, wow, antichrists. And this is what he says about those antichrists in 1 John chapter 2. He says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. These false teachers, they were saying that Jesus, he wasn't really the Christ. They denied that Jesus came in a real body, that he came in the flesh. They, they did not believe that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. This is a big deal for John because John is one of uh, Jesus' disciples. Remember, he had those 12 main dudes that hung out with him. He was one of them, right? John. So he saw Jesus with his own eyes. He uh, rested upon Jesus, right? He touched Jesus with his own hands. In fact, he writes a gospel, the gospel of John. And he says, the reason I wrote this gospel in John chapter 20, he says, the reason I wrote it is so that you might believe that Jesus, like the guy that I hung with, that I saw, that I touched, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing in Jesus, you may have life in what? In his name. And so this section from chapter 5, 1 John, is reminding us, and it's reminding us, again, from an eyewitness of Jesus, that he is the Christ. And so in verse 7 and 8, he says, there are three that testify to this, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. The Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, that Spirit of truth. The water, meaning Jesus' baptism. Remember that baptism? This incredible encounter where Jesus is there and the Holy Spirit comes upon him uh, like a dove and the Father speaks down from heaven. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. So the Spirit, the water, and then what's the third one? The blood. The blood. This is Jesus' death on the cross. Remember his death on the cross. The Bible tells us that when he dies, the veil in the temple, remember what happens? It is torn into two. Uh, it tells us that the earth shook, that the rocks were split. When Jesus dies, remember the Ro Roman soldier at, at his death, he says, surely this man was the son of God. 
So there's these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And they testify to the truth that Jesus is the Christ. It's Jesus the Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, right? Born to a virgin, a fully man. Jesus of Nazareth, but also Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. Fully man, but also fully God. Verses 11, 12, and 13. And this is the testimony that God has given us. Eternal life. Eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So He's writing to us as Christians. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Again, and I've said this a hundred times, it looks like if this is the end of, uh, to, uh, of the book today, I don't get to say this again, but he wrote this to remind us of who we are and whose we are. Oh wait, there's 2 John and 3 John, you're going to hear a lot more. All right, so children of God, that's who we are. We're children of God who have eternal life all because we are believing in Jesus who is the Son of God. If you have the Son of God, you have life. You have the Son of God, you have life. You don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. Then he goes on. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. I love this verse. This amazing truth. I want to camp out here just a little bit. I, I just love these verses. I love where they're put in this letter. I love that these verses on prayer and having confidence in prayer, that they're right after, right after him reminding us that in Jesus we have eternal life. So John writes that because of this eternal life in Jesus, of what we have in God because of Jesus Christ, we now have this confidence. John writes we have a confidence in approaching God. And that confidence, it comes from our identity, right? Again, that we know who we are and whose we are. We're children of God who will abide with the Lord forever and ever. And then from that identity of who we are and whose we are, if we ask anything according to His will, hallelujah, He hears us every time. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. It's so good. Now, I hope you caught the little phrase in there. It's a little phrase. It's kind of important. If we ask anything according to His will, according to His will, He hears us. I love what John Stott writes regarding this little phrase. He says, Prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God or bending His will to our will. But yet prayer is the prescribed way of subordinating our will to His. It is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it, and align ourselves with it. Every true prayer is a variation on the theme, Your will be done. Our master, Jesus, taught us to say this in the pattern prayer that he gave us. Remember the Lord's Prayer. And he added the supreme example of it in the Garden of Gethsemane. In such prayers and only in such, he hears us. That is, he takes note of our petitions. In addition, he listens favorably to us. Stephen Cole, he adds an interesting perspective on this idea. I think you'll enjoy it. He says, many who do not know God pray to God. Right? There's many people who pray. In fact, I think prayer is pretty popular 
these days. But those who do not know God, they're, they're not seeking God's will in prayer. Rather, they're trying to use God to get what they want. Right? They use God to get what they want. But biblical prayer is not trying to talk God into giving us what we want. Rather, it is submitting our will to His will. It is praying as Jesus instructed, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It would be the height of stupidity to pray for my will to be done as opposed to God's will. For one thing, he writes, it would mean that I know better than God what is best for my life. But he knows everything and he has assured us that he loves us far more than the best earthly father loves his children. So it only makes sense to submit to and pray for his will for my life and for others. He says it's difficult to pray according to God's will because his ways, they're not our ways. And we often think that he has to work in the way that makes sense to us. I'd agree with that. He says, if I had been a disciple of John the Baptist, I would have been praying that he be released from prison and have many more years of effective ministry. God's way was to have a drunken, lustful king make a stupid promise that resulted in John getting his head lopped off. He says, if I had been the apostle John, the same John who wrote 1 John and the Gospel of John, he says, I would have prayed for God to spare my brother James. Remember James and John, they were brothers. But James dies, remember that? After all, he was one of the inner circle of three disciples who were especially close to Jesus. His gifts were needed in the early church. But God permitted Herod to put James to death. But he sent an angel to deliver Peter from the same fate. Although Scripture does not say that John was praying for his brother's release, I cannot imagine anything else. Yet his release was not granted because it was not God's will. One more example, and I I love this example. He says, if I had heard that Satan was asking permission to sift Peter like wheat, remember that when Satan asked to sift Peter like wheat? He says, I would have prayed that Peter be able to resist the devil's attack. But Jesus didn't pray that way. Rather, he prayed that Peter's faith would not ultimately fail. And that after he was restored, he might strengthen his brothers. He says, he finishes, I hope that I'm not discouraging you from praying. But I want you to understand that while God promises to grant our request when we ask according to his will, it's not some simple name it and claim it. It is not some simple name it and claim it process. God's will is that his kingdom will come. And yet the outworking of his will involves thousands of years and many setbacks. We must persevere in prayer even when we do not understand God's will or his ways. That's the general principle. That if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears and he grants our requests. I love what both of those authors have to say. And if there's anything that I've taken from Ghana, I've taken quite a bit. But I think the main thing from the three times I've been there now is learning how to pray according to God's will. I'm still learning how to pray. Stephen Cole said that many people who do not know God, they pray to God. And again, it seems like everybody is praying these days. But when they're praying, they're always trying to get something out of God. And that would mean they're very self-centered prayers. They're very self-focused prayers. And I think a lot of my prayers have looked that way, have sounded that way. God, do this. Or God, don't do this. Kind of like, really, I'm the one who's God. And I'm asking this lesser God or mini God to do some things for me. But the more that I'm learning about this abiding relationship with God, being in his presence, being in relationship with him, my prayers more and more, they're coming from the foundation of, you know what? I'm not God. You're God. And it's not my kingdom. It's your kingdom. And it's not my will. It's your will. Your will, Lord. Your will be done. And then out of that humble heart, 
boldly present your requests to God. And I think this is an area I'm growing. Hopefully it's an area we can all grow. I, I hope you grow in that. When you're praying also, I say just don't throw out a bunch of words. right? Just kind of throw out a bunch, hope a couple stick kind of idea. Actually think about what you're doing. Right, focus, right? Focus your mind, focus your heart, focus your body. Be reminded in, in prayer, kind of like what he was just talking about, this confidence in approaching God. You're approaching God. Have you ever thought about that when you're praying? Like, it's not just a ritual or routine or just going through the motions. You're approaching God. You're speaking words to the Lord. So in prayer, just think about it. You're in the presence of God. And it says you can confidently approach God. Hallelujah. He's this loving Father. But pray according to His will. Pray that His will be done. Whose will? The one who's on the throne. If you need to think of that, think about Him being on the throne. The one who is on the throne according to your will. Your will, God. Your will. How do we know God's will? I think the best way you could know God's will is to know the Bible, right? Know the Word of God. You want to know the will of God? Read the Word of God. Also pray by the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Pray by the Spirit of truth according to the Word of truth. And as much as possible, just focus in prayer. Don't go through the motions, but focus that everything you'd say, everything that you'd ask would be in alignment with His Word, in alignment with His will. Especially if you've been a Christian for a while, I think some of us, it's just time to grow up in some of this. Like, it really is time to get serious and be a man of God, be a woman of God, and approach God with confidence. Ask with confidence, but ask according to His will. God, You are here, and I know You're here. And if it be your will, Lord, would you right now and then present in boldness in the name of Jesus your request to God and trust that he hears it and he will answer it. Have confidence. Final two verses here before I hand it off to Sean. Verses 16 and 17. These are really good verses as well. This is a great passage. I could spend like a year just on the last 10 minutes of these verses. This is really hard for me to do. All right. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. That is crazy. So powerful. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. So I love this. After John tells us that we can ask for anything according to God's will, John now says, if you see a brother, you see a sister sinning, ask God. Pray to God. And God will give them life. Isn't that amazing? So we find out who we are, that we're those that have eternal life in Jesus. Because we have this identity in Jesus, we can boldly approach his throne, confidently approach and ask for anything. And now he says, you know one of the things you might want to ask for? If you see your brother or your sister sinning, ask God. Pray to God and he will give them life. I think hopefully we just understand in that little phrase, in that short verse, that it is so important to pray for one another. If you ever thought it was meaningless to pray for another person or pray for that person that you're just like, why are they continuing to make these decisions? Why are they continuing to go left when they should go right? I just want to encourage you, pray for your brother or your sister. God hears your prayers. God will give them life. Now he also mentions the sin that leads to death. Ultimately, there's always a sin that leads to death. The sin of rejecting Jesus Christ 
as Christ, as the Son of God, will always lead to death. You realize he's putting this in the letter because he's so upset with these false prophets and these false teachers, right? You understand? This is like if there was a screwdriver in the heart, he just cranked it up a little bit. Because he's saying when you reject Jesus for who he is, and that's he is ticked off. He's called him Antichrist. You are against everything that Jesus represents. He says when you reject him and who he actually is, there's no hope for you. Because where is your hope? It is in Jesus Christ. And he said it how many times? I, I didn't look it up. But how many times did he say, when you believe in Jesus, when you believe he's the son of God, that's when you have eternal life. If you do not believe that he is the Christ, there is no opportunity for you to be saved. When you reject his name, when you reject the gift of salvation, there is nothing and there is no one that can save you. There's not like plan B. There's not like the other road or the other religion or the other way. And so before I give it to Sean, I want to step aside with this. Just to know this in this room, to have a confidence in this room that any unrighteousness, anything less than God's perfection is called sin. And John already told us in the very beginning of this letter, he says, if you claim that you have no sin, you are only fooling yourself and you're not living in the truth. The Bible tells us in Romans that we've all fallen short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, the reason we're here, the reason we're getting uh, just our lungs going, singing and worshiping God is that there's one who can actually forgive us of our sins. There's only one. And his name is Jesus. And I just want to encourage you with all of the hardships and trials and pain of life, with all of the things going on in your life, will you decide to accept or reject his free gift of grace? Will you curse Jesus And throughout history, men and women have decided with all the things going on in life, with the the stuff of life, they have decided to curse Jesus and reject his gift. Or will you receive the salvation that comes from believing in him? I want you to think about that. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never believed in his name, this is what I would encourage you. One, just while Sean's talking, just start talking to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I want to be yours forever. I want to be in your kingdom. I want to live in your house. I, I want to dwell in your presence. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be free. Then after that, the end of service, I want to put you in some water. This is what they did in the Bible times. You would believe, and then you'd be baptized. And when you're baptized, you're identifying with Jesus Christ to the whole world. You're saying, world, guess what? I am no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I am now dead with Christ, but then raised up into new life in Christ, eternal life with him. So if that's you, just begin to talk to the Lord as Sean continues, and then let's baptize you, and you can know the rest of your days on this earth will be free, forgiven, new life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. All right? Sean. I was counseled before I came up here to make it good or keep it short. Um, so for the next two hours, um, just kidding. Um, actually, I want to begin um, by reading <laughs> uh, by reading the, the next portion of scripture, First John five eighteen through twenty one. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. 
We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. I don't know about you guys, but um, I kind of have a problem with the um, first part of verse 18. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, how is it possible that we're not going to continue in sin? I mean, I, I really just want to go to God and say, God, my name is Sean. <laughs> I'm a sinner. <laughs> how do you do? <laughs> but, you know, I just, as I was preparing, like, I was really stumped on what I could actually say about this verse. And even more so when I read Galatians 5.3, which says, Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to follow the whole law. See, in Galatians 5, it talks about circumcision as following the law. So any who are circumcised out of obligation to the law must follow the whole law or they're guilty of sinning against God. So how can 1 John 18 be in agreement with Galatians 5? We know that no one who is born of God continues to sin. But don't I commit sins every day? And if I try not to sin, am I not following the law? But if I try, not, if I try to obey and not sin, if I fail, aren't I then sinning because my focus is on obeying the law? And this actually gets me to another question, which has actually bugged me for years. How good is good enough to be at peace with God? And the answer to this is actually in verse 20 that we just read. And it says, and in him, and we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. When we say yes to Jesus, God no longer sees us through the filter of sin, but instead he sees us through the filter of Jesus. First John, or excuse me, John 3.17 also confirms this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. God used one event in my life to really drive this idea home. Um, There was a time about 15 years ago when I absolutely refused to believe in God. I wasn't ignorant of God. I was actually raised in a Christian family. This period of time was my choice. Because I couldn't see that God actually loved anyone, except for what you could find in some dusty old book called the Bible. I mean, where was it? It appeared to me that those who served him most, who sacrificed the most for him, suffered the most. It was my perspective. I mean, it really, in my perspective, it seemed that no matter what we did, God was absent, and he just didn't care. This perception made me very angry. And even worse, I was extremely ashamed of my anger. And during this time... I did something terrible, something that's just not even worth talking about here. It wasn't terrible for the violence of it, but for the self-serving cruelty of my actions towards people I actually cared about very deeply. 
I didn't think about the consequences for myself or for them because I thought I had stopped feeling. I no longer felt capable of actually caring. So trouble was, in the aftermath of what I did, I ended up having an opportunity to talk with one of them. We went on a long and painful walk. And I fully expected rage and violence from this guy. I wasn't prepared for what he actually did give me. Because instead of violent retribution, he gave me a hug. And the trouble is, is what I realized at that time was that my consequences, those consequences were more than what I could actually bear. I could have taken the violence. I could have taken the anger, but not forgiveness. The consequences for them last to this day. What I did affects them even today. But when he said, I forgive you, and he gave me a hug, it was like a knife that went right to my core. His one act destroyed me. And in my sheer desperation to find peace, to find peace again, I actually found myself back inside of a church, an Episcopal rectory, talking to a cleric. I was burying my soul to her, and we talked for a while, but there were two things that she said to me that I hope I never forget. The first one was, you came here seeking God, and to him you are not evil. The second thing was, can I pray for you? I love that, that verse that you just went over, that pray for your brother. See, the thing was is that God actually used her, those two things, to actually humble me even further. And that night, I actually found myself just losing it, just sobbing with my face buried in the carpet, so overwhelmed that I couldn't even say out loud the one sentence that was just racing through my mind over and over. Just, God, have mercy on me. <laughs> so many of you guys were here two years ago when I was dunked. And you might remember that I actually believe that I saw Jesus. I had a vision of Jesus himself that day. And it was amazing. But what most people don't know is, is that that was actually the second time I've seen Jesus. Fifteen years ago, my face in the carpet, I believe that I actually had a vision of Jesus. What I saw was myself naked, kneeling before the throne of God, waiting for him to punish me, waiting for him to rise up and destroy me. And in that moment, I saw feet next to me, felt an arm on my shoulder, and heard a voice say, stop, this one is mine. And you might think that that would actually be enough to change my behavior. But the trouble was, is I actually could not see God in my practical every day still. Not directly nor indirectly through others who claim that they believed. I became very fond of asking, I'm a Christian, now what? I was still so angry at God and at Christians for their seeming lack of faith. And the institution of Christianity that seemed to just ignore the practical, real, everyday needs of those who were in need. And so I continued to live for me, alone, lonely, wandering aimlessly, 
with no sense of belonging. But two years ago, when I was baptized in water and in spirit, my life was drastically changed. What I now realize is that the first time, I surrendered my sin. The second time, I surrendered my life. But I want to be clear, your actions matter. Your actions matter to your story, to the story of others, and they matter to God. And I want to take a moment for a little group participation here, if you don't mind. If you and I have prayed together, or if you have prayed for me, even without my knowledge, I want to ask you please to stand up. Stay standing while I try to read this. Therefore, in Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Thank you, guys. Your actions mattered. Your stories matter. And what you did in secret, it mattered. But you don't have to do anything but surrender to God in order to be at peace with God. On more than one occasion, I've said that I pray that our church would actually be full of angry people. But I do actually want to clarify that a little bit. (laughs) I don't want you to be angry. (laughs) But I want this church to be full, full of people who are desperate to hear God and to see God. I want every person who walks through those doors to be able to have the same support and belonging and love that you guys have shown to me. I want to take a moment and reread. Starting in verse 18 again. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin because the one born of God keeps them safe and the evil cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That final verse kind of cracks me up. Because that final verse of the entire book of 1 John, for me, sums up the entire Bible. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Which is, in other words, don't look at anything else that would distract you from Jesus, his mercy or his transforming love. Because think about me. If you had told me three years ago that I'd be up here... (laughs) talking about Jesus or his love, his mercy, or his transforming power, I would have at very least laughed at you. But because of his love through you, I am changed. 
I am loved, I have a sense of belonging, and today I'm full. I believe that with all that I am, that I've seen Jesus twice. Once when I was desperate to be outside of his presence, and the second time when I was desperate to be in his presence. Both times I was desperate, both times required a humility I actually don't normally possess. But if you today are desperate, if you have gone as far as you can and are ready to humble yourself, then let me say now, in Jesus, you're not evil. And may I pray with you? Because where you are today, it's not a mistake. You are not a mistake. You may feel hurt, broken, angry, desperate. But in Jesus, you are whole, you are healed, you are peaceful, and you are safe. I want to read Matthew 4, starting in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? But Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water. Just give me the water. I want to ask Mary to come back up. And just right now, I really, I want to create a time where I just, I want you to be prayed for. If you are desperate, if you're hurt, if you're, I don't care where you are, if you just want more Jesus. If you're willing to stand up, stand up. If not, Grab the hand of somebody next to you. But I want to pray for you. And I know that there's so many others in here that would be willing to pray for you. Jesus, I thank you so much for your love. Because it has destroyed me. It has taken away my life. But it has filled me. And I thank you so much for the desperation that took me to my knees in front of you so that I could finally see you. And I thank you, Lord, for these people who have prayed for me. They changed me because they stopped and they said, Jesus, for Sean. Because of that, I'm here. Jesus, I'm so grateful and I'm asking you now to show up, to reveal yourself. You're already here. We get that. But Lord, I'm asking you to open their eyes, to heal the hearts that need to be healed to heal the lives, the anger, the questions, whatever it is, I'm asking you to show up for them today according to your will, according to your love, your power. And today, may they know when they walk away that they are truly sons and daughters of the Most High God because of Jesus. Again, I'm overwhelmed and I'm so grateful. Thank you, my God, for your love. Amen.